2: And welcome to the Curzon and Podcast. This week uh, you're with me, Jenna Hobbs, and I'm joined by Danny Veracanidi. Hi, Danny. Hi there. Uh, did I did pronounce your name wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I tried really hard, but it is Greek. <laughs> you pronounce your name for us. Okay, it's Danuvorectanidi. Beautiful. I'm oh, very sorry. Uh, so okay. <laughs> this week we're going to be talking about uh, Maggie's Plan, directed by Rebecca Miller. It's a screwball comedy uh, about the life of Maggie, played by Greta Gerwig, and her various plans and schemes that she has throughout this film. First of all, what do you think of the film, Danny? I really enjoyed it.
3: Yeah. Um it was quite fun, lighthearted. It's 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 nice to see a different kind of comedy than the ones that you keep watching. It was really easy
2: watching and the yeah. characters were so funny and different and it just take you into that. I just loved what a car- great character study it was. Yeah. I just felt like all of those characters you've seen elements of in other people and I just couldn't stop laughing. The yeah, whole way I know, through. I know this. <laughs> <laughs> But Like from the opening bit, I was gone. <laughs> so Maggie's initial plan is that she is going to have a baby. Yes, uh, she decides that she doesn't need a man to do this. She very hilariously says that she doesn't think she can love anyone for longer than six months. Yeah. <laughs> she, to which... We all feel like that, <laughs> I think. We do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's kind of like the millennial problem, isn't it? It's yeah. such a fast-paced life, and you know, it's so easy to meet different people all the time that it's quite hard. I think for our generation to sort of pinned down I think that's kind of what this film encapsulates a bit with her struggle yeah um but she tells her good friend uh tony played by bill hader who's absolutely hilarious the whole way through (laughs) that she can't love anyone for more than six months which he replied we dated for two years (laughs) so I think that just sets the tone for this film brilliantly and it's um it's got great great characters in it throughout the whole thing who was your favorite character
3: I would say it would be Guy, just because oh, yeah. he was so sweet and kind of innocent in yeah. the whole
2: situation, um, but I did like Tony a lot. Oh, Tony just had such yeah. a dry wit, didn't he? Actually, I think the film's really dry in yeah. how funny it is the whole way through. So we should say Guy is... So Baggy's going to have a baby. Yes. She's decided she's having a baby, and she doesn't need a man to do it. She's going to have a sperm donor. Yeah, <laughs> And so Guy, Danny's favorite character, is the sperm donor, yeah. or the... Initial, we think he's a sperm donor. So she decides, "Pom."
3: Yeah, he's uh, played by Travis Fumel, Yeah, and um, he is a pickle entrepreneur. A
2: pickle entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is <laughs> hilarious yeah. and just totally that hipster Brooklyn vibe yeah. <laughs> in two words <laughs> but yeah he's great and um you see oh, there's a really hilarious scene between those two actually I couldn't stop laughing when he turns up to he's kind of just a bit hopeless isn't he guy yeah. he turns up to give his sample to Maggie and he just forgets it <laughs> and then decides he like offers Maggie he's like hey can we do this the old fashioned <laughs> way <laughs> in exactly that too. yeah just like that. <laughs> she's just like absolutely not <laughs> but yeah so that's Maggie's initial plan mm. she's gonna have a baby she's got her best friends Tony and Felicia mm-hmm. and Felicia's paid by Maya Rudolph yeah and she is a kind of well she works at a university isn't she mm-hmm. and she calls herself the bridge from art to business or something like that yeah. in her role and at university one day she bumps into John Yes. Yes. It played by Ethan Hawke. Yeah. And he is the, uh, like, he's like the typical academic. He gets described by Felicia as the bad boy of fiction. Fic- okay, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to read it. Because <laughs> it sounds made up. And I'm kind of convinced it might be. Fictocritical Anthropology. You never know. <laughs> Do you think that's a real thing? I wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might be. Anyway, so uh, Felicia describes him as the bad boy yes. of fictocritical anthropology. And he has like one of these kind of like, ethnic-y, nondescript necklaces on, which I think just completely pinpoints his character but to
3: yeah. a T. <laughs> I love that necklace.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of him? He turns up and kind of changes stuff.
3: Yes, um... I think he is a character that turns obviously the story mm-hmm. around, um, but he's he's a type of man or person that's like so weak yeah. and so aching for like having to be recognized by everyone around him, mm-hmm. uh, especially from the
2: women in his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Um, he made me laugh a lot, but I didn't really necessarily like him as a
2: Person. yeah i know exactly what you mean i mean during the film i remember turning to you and going he is so self-absorbed it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> he just like can't see outside himself can he and so he's married to georgette yes. who's played by julianne moore yeah. and she's this very officious woman who knows exactly what she wants she's I don't know where she's actually from. She's Scandinavian. Yeah. And she has this... Julianne Moore puts on the most incredible accent yeah. the whole way through. Yeah. And she is so dry.
3: You know what I loved about her performance? Is that her face wouldn't change at all. It was
2: absolutely hilarious. It, it yes. just looked like she'd had, like, severe Botox. Yes. But obviously she has it. And all that moved were yes. her, like, pursed yes. lips. <laughs> through every scene. Through every emotion. She was the ultimate ice queen. Yes. And so we see that uh, John and Georgette are in this marriage where Georgette is thriving and becoming more and more celebrated in academia and John is trying to write a novel and not doing very well at that and kind of feeling a little bit like he's being left behind in in his marriage in his life yeah he did mention at some point when he was talking to Maggie actually that
3: in their his relationship with his wife Georgette um he's the gardener and she's the rose oh yes and that kind of changes obviously with the progress of the film and everything, but I thought that was quite a nice description. Definitely,
2: that's a great description, and he just definitely feels like all he does is just nourish her life, he feels very undervalued, and it's quite interesting that later in the film you basically see that role reversed. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. So we kind of introduced everyone to the main characters and the main plot, so Mm -hmm. the first half of the film focuses on them all getting to know each other, and Maggie, within this, is still planning to have a baby. Mm -hmm. And uh, we see sort of the unravelling of their lives. John's writing this novel and he kind of begins this emotional affair with yeah. Maggie. What did you think about about their relationship?
3: Um, I I understood why it started. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like obviously Maggie was in that stage where she wanted a baby and um, she just got to know John and he needed someone to approve of what he's doing. Yeah, And they kind of became friends but not really friends so it did make a bit sense I I was surprised though when he actually said his feelings
2: out loud yeah 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 yeah. I was like where did that come from and I think as well like Maggie is obviously she wants a baby Mm -hmm. and she's very maternal and it's almost like she starts to mother yeah, John. Yeah, exactly. And even actually when John sort of professes his love for Maggie, he crouches down to her next to her stomach and it's almost like comforting a, a small child, yeah, isn't yeah. it? And I think, you know, he's looking for someone to nurture him, she's looking for someone to nurture. Yeah. And, and she kind of likes the, the fact that he's writing a novel, she's kind of attracted to that. Yeah. And... She, she doesn't realize that the book is about his life. Yes, which is hilarious because yeah. it's so obviously about his life. <laughs> the audience knows that. Yeah, she does. And I think that's one of the hilarious things about this film is the audience is in on so many of the jokes. Yeah. Actually, like uh, there's a joke really early on where um, Tony says to Maggie, "Oh, I can't believe you're going to use." Um, Guy's sperm. That guy has no sense of personal yeah. space. And then the next scene, it's not picked up on again. But Guy's just eerily close to Maggie. <laughs> and it's just hilarious. I think These she's little stepped jokes. back Yeah, it. she's like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of just really fun, fun bits like that yeah. the whole way through. um Just wonderful, wonderful characters. Yeah, definitely. Who, and so you said Guy was your favourite character. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with Georgette as mine. Julia yeah, Morris Georgette. I yeah. just so funny. I just felt like any time it cut to her, I couldn't stop laughing, yeah, yeah. even if she wasn't doing anything. Yeah.
3: <laughs> she just she just was in the screen and you were like her presence was so
2: Yeah, it was, big. It was so like magnetic. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like it's not a role, I don't know, I haven't seen her in much comedy. I obviously remember Julianne Moore most recently from Still Alice which yeah. is a totally different film. And did this film remind you of any other films?
3: Uh, yes, actually. Um, quite a few films like Greta... Gerwig was in. Uh uh-huh. huh. Um, Remind me a bit of Frances Ha. Yeah. Um, and while we're young. Hmm. I think it's um, mostly the dialogue and how there's not the story is not the big part of the film. Yes. It's more the characters and what the, and just talking about life.
2: Yeah. And how it unravels. I actually really loved that this film would just jump in like halfway yeah. through conversations. It felt really fast paced because of that. Yeah. It would just be like, oh, this is a bit of the conversation you need and we'll jump out of it now yeah, and it yeah, brought yeah. It along really nicely.
3: I quite like the conversation bit as well and I think I read an article recently from The Atlantic that was talking about how conversations, basically about films and stuff, how the conversation when you talk with people, mm-hmm. you form your thoughts whilst the other person is talking. Yes. So you just it's the turn of um, the conversation is so quick. Mm -hmm. And I think
2: that worked so nicely in this film. Yes, definitely. It felt so naturalistic because of that. Yeah. And yeah, interestingly mentioned Frances Hart, it reminded me a lot of that too. And I think Greta Gerwig, I don't think she plays the same character every time, but there's kind of like an element of, uh, she kind of plays like an intellectual who's just slightly a little bit removed from reality. Yeah. And I think she does that again in this film, but it is quite a different character to Frances. Yeah, definitely. But she's kind of
3: like, I think I would say she's the woman that she would go for the realistic kind Mm -hmm. of women in her 20s and stuff uh, if you want the main role to be like that. Yes, yes. But she does bring something different each time.
2: In, in each one yeah, yeah definitely agree and what do we think about Maggie so Maggie is a character she comes in she's quite a strong woman with a strong idea that she's going to raise a baby on her own she mm-hmm. doesn't need a man and she kind of talks about how she had that example with her own mother yeah just uh, the two of them growing up and but she's also quite flawed yes in some respects
3: yeah I think One of her biggest flaws, which they mention a lot, is that she's a control freak. Yes, yeah. She wants to make everything nice and tidy, and that's what she's trying to do in the film. Mm -hmm. But obviously, as her friend Tony said, that doesn't always work. Like, love is messy, life is messy. Yeah, you you can't be
2: the good person all the time. So she's just so fanatical about sewing it all up and making it all right for everyone. And then, yeah, Tony just tells her, you've already done a bad thing. (laughs) Stuff messing it up. And I think that's what's so funny in this film is that all of these characters are so flawed and they make such a mess of it. Because yeah. they're all kind of university professors or they work within that field and it kind of feels like because they've never left the education system, they've never really grown up. Yeah. In fact, I think the most sensible character in the entire film is um, John and Georgette's daughter. Yes. <laughs> At definitely. The, end, the very end of the film just turns around and is like, do any of you have a plan? Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Maggie's plan changes quite a lot during the film. And who's, like, what is the plan, do you reckon, as the film goes on?
3: Well, I think her first plan, obviously, was to have a baby. Mm -hmm. That
2: was her main role,
3: what she wanted to do. And then I think it shifts, because obviously she had the baby and then she, um, obviously she's she's married to John, Mm -hmm. and um, they have this family and stuff. Yeah, so it
2: basically jumps forward three years. Maggie's initial plan is to have the baby, and they all meet, and there's no baby, and everything kind of blows up, and then we jump three years later to not such marital bliss, basically.
3: At first it seems that it's alright, but then you see them a bit more, and you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, that something's not
2: right there. Well, because basically the film could be... The whole first half, and at the end of it, Maggie and John get together, and they're going to raise yeah, the baby, yeah, yeah. and it's all going to be lovely. Yeah. But instead of doing that, it goes does the first half, and then it goes, do you know what? Life's not happily ever yeah. after. It's <laughs> three years later. Yeah. And sometimes, <laughs> you really shouldn't go and marry your mistress. <laughs> yes.
3: um, yeah, and after that, I think she just changes her mind. Yeah. As she realises that's not what she wants, and she's kind of trying to get uh, John and
2: his ex-wife, Georgette, back. Yes. So the plan changes. She just realises that basically she made a big mistake, doesn't she? Yeah. She wants to rewind (laughs) and put it right. Yes. But yeah, you basically see the roles completely reversed. So it's gone from John being the gardener to Georgette's rose, to Maggie being the gardener to John's rose, except John's still not flourishing. No, and I think the thing is with with someone like John is that you can blame all your other circumstances for your lack of productivity or your lack of creative creativity, but yet Maggie is the one paying all the bills. She's the one raising the kids and doing everything and making their life work and letting you know sacrificing herself for John all the time, and yet he's still not finished this novel. Yes, he's still not done it, and I think. It's quite. It's sad in some respects to sort of see this dis- dissolving of a marriage, like throughout the second half. But it feels so real, isn't it? That life's yeah. not a fairy tale.
3: Yeah, exactly. And um, it was. Um, it was a nice um, moment when Georgette was like, "Oh, I realize I can't live without you. Yeah, but I don't really want to, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it was like, um, it's both of them can live without him because he's just. Yeah he's just an absolute man baby
2: isn't he (laughs) he just wants all the women to sit there and and just like pander his ego yeah (laughs) Yeah, absolutely definitely so jake this week um has an interview with rebecca miller the director so we're going to cut to jake and hear what she's got to say about the film and then we'll be back and we'll talk about all the spoiler stuff
1: we are delighted to be joined on the curzon podcast by rebecca miller director of maggie's plan how are you doing today, Rebecca? I'm
4: great, thank you.
1: Excellent. So we're just coming out of the um, Q&A um, of the first showing of the film at Curzon Soho. And I wanted to start by talking about genre. Uh, as it seems now, the anti-romantic comedy has become a bit of a genre in itself. Did you approach the film as a subversion to the modern romantic comedy? Or did you approach it as a, just a traditional rom-com in itself?
4: Um, I... You know, I think the subversive elements of it are just natural to the way I approach anything. I, I think that the fact that perhaps the main character is female and mm, rather than the, traditionally the, perhaps the male is the main character and he involves himself with a younger female or something like that. There's, a kind of, there's various different subversive or, or, or uh, reverse elements in this. Um, but I didn't go about it like that. I really just tried to tell a story um, with a lot of twists and turns that reflected the confusion of modern life.
1: Okay. And the um, the original text itself isn't published yet. Is that right? So come.
4: Right. The novel that. Karen Rinaldi sent me had three chapters in it or four chapters I can't remember how many chapters that were the Maggie chapters and those chapters had the basic story in it and it had the situation with Georgia John and Maggie in it and then um, I added the the friends and the Pickleman and I built out the plot but the basic the essence of the thing is is in those chapters
1: and when you got those chapters was it one of those moments where you just you read a page and then another page and then you've you've accidentally finished it all when you just decide that you've got to make it?
4: Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it was very clear to me that it rang a bell and that it was absurd but sort of weirdly plausible and that I thought I could make it my own. And uh, I worked for a long time on finding a way to personalize Maggie in a way, make her one of my heroines in a way, and her weird blend of intelligence and innocence and... Uh, her plotting, along with a kind of bumbling quality, were things that were all, th- what I, that sort of were my contribution was to Maggie. The fact that she's a Quaker, that's something that Greta and I came to together. Um, the fact that she also works in academia is something that was not in the, in the original novel. So there were a lot of things about Maggie. Georgette really was very close to what was originally in the novel. Um, and of course, the situation of you know, what happens when you realize your husband's perfect for his ex-wife.
1: The title of the film could allude to a number of different plans that Maggie actually has. In your head, is the plan of getting Georgette and John back together, is that the plan? or do you just see it as an open? Well
4: I think that the point of the title is that you think you know what the plan is in the first five minutes of so the movie you think oh that's the plan and then you realise oh no no that's the plan oh no 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 no, that's the plan so in a way it could have been Maggie's plans but um, but it's, you know I suppose the essential and most interesting plan is the one of getting them back together
1: And you mentioned about Maggie being a bit more uh, light hearted and thinking of her as a bit more honest and I think that's something perhaps a bit different to other romantic comedies or uh, films we might see where there's a lot more cynicism to love and romance. And did you did you initially approach it like that, that you wanted this to be a bit more purist and honest?
4: Well, I mean, I think that there's, uh, it's complex, you know, like life, you know, there's moments that are, that, that she, her, she is quite a pure character in the sense that she's very ethically motivated And she wants to live an honest life. And a lot of her so-called ethical moves are actually really, for most people, quite um, appalling in terms (laughs) of, you know, she breaks up someone's marriage. She then kind of tries to glue everything back together. She's always messing up. But there's something about the purity of heart that she goes about with things with that makes you forgive her, but also, strangely in retrospect, she's sort of right. Like a lot of the things that she undertook to do were actually correct. And she's just completely not orthodox. She doesn't do things the normal way.
1: Yeah, and um, I think it's interesting that the person you feel empathy for, it, it changes throughout the film. So tr- like the, traditionally, you don't like the person that's having the affair, but then we actually see it from their point of view and we change and we think, oh, they're not actually that bad a person. And I think that was, a, that was a great shift from what we're used to seeing.
4: Right, and that was very important to me. I mean, those kind of shifts where you change who you're rooting for, to me, is a, is it's important because, it's important to be able to have empathy for people that you would normally judge. And there's quite a lot of opportunities to judge people and then change your mind about them in the movie. Like, for example, Georgette, who's Julianne Moore's character, is first, um,
0: post your free job on linkedin.com/people today
4: described as you know glacial and terrifying and then you meet her and you think oh wow she really is glacial and terrifying and then gradually you get to know her and you realize actually she's kind of a human being and she's has crises of confidence like anyone else and she's in love you know she just is in love with her husband and you want start to feel bad for her like for example I think you see John in very many different ways. Like you see John first from Maggie's point of view as a sort of the quote-unquote panty melter, and then you see her, then you see him as the sort of schlub who's a pig and really useless, but then you see him from Georgette's point of view, and then you see him as somebody that's very, you know, beloved husband. And so I think that each, and part of the whole thing is that we're different with different people, you know? You watch John be different with Maggie than he is with Georgette. He's sort of like the quote-unquote the rose and the gardener, depending on who he's with.
1: And I think you mentioned that it, it changes throughout who, whose side we're on. And when John and Georgette get to the, um, the Snowden conference, and then it almost becomes their own film. And we're, we're straight away rooting for them. Yeah. And you've forgotten about Maggie <laughs> completely.
4: Right. And that's the great power of film is that you know, if you set it up right and you get enough of them so that you care about them a little bit and then you go into this thing and then you're willing to go in you know with them wholeheartedly and it was a risk doing that. And I remember some people reading the screenplay and saying, are you sure you want to just suddenly, what are you doing? You're suddenly in this 15 minutes where you're just with these two people. Um, it was important to kind of touch back with, with Maggie to remember that this was her plan at work. But I think... Um, it, it's, it's part of the magic of the thing and it's also part of saying, look, you know, e- there are, of course, truly evil pers- people in this world who are doing truly evil things, but most people are just flawed people and, and, and that includes all of us, you
1: know? And I think one of the key things of believing these relationships and actually, in the end, rooting for them is the chemistry between the actors and making those relationships seem believable. And you've got that between uh, John and Georgette and Maggie, but then also between the friends there as well. I was wondering if you could talk us through assembling that group of people and making sure that their relationships really were believable on screen. Yeah. Did you have to prepare a lot as a group?
4: Well, I was lucky in that um, Bill Hader and Maya Rudolph were really close friends already, of course, from Saturday Night Live. So when I cast Bill, I had said to him, I'm thinking of Maya Rudolph, and he said, oh, I would so love that. And so Maya was a friend of mine, and I was able to call her, and she was. She said sure, and that she would love to do with Bill. So Bill and Maya were a, a, a matching set. They they were great. They were very believable already from the get go as married couple. Then we had, um, you know, I sent it to early on. First thing I did was send it to Julianne, and once I had Julianne, then I sat down with Greta, and I realized she was the perfect person, and. Ethan came a little bit later, but Ethan and Julianne had a long-standing friendship. So really then creating the, what was nice was that um, Greta and Ethan kind of had to be new friends. They had to be people that didn't know each other so you could get that spark of of newness there. Um, So it all sort of worked out that uh, a lot of that familiarity that you needed for the married people were already there with some of those relationships.
1: And um, you mentioned a bit of a bombshell in the Q and A that your your husband actually found Travis Fimmel whilst watching Vikings. Yes, very true.
4: <laughs> yes, watching Vikings, which was a show he quite enjoyed, um, and he was there watching Vikings. And this was before anyone else was watching Vikings, as far as I know. Because after this, I kept
1: saying to everyone, "Have you watched Vikings?" And they were like, "No."
4: Um, so, but anyway, yes, that's how we found Travis.
1: Yeah. I was watching Warcraft recently uh-huh. and I'm there looking at this face and think, I know that face I know that face that's the pickle man <laughs>
4: <laughs> that's the pic- yeah I think that's how everyone's gonna see him when they watch Warcraft they're gonna yeah. think that's the pickle man
1: <laughs> but what, what do you see in this ac- this action hero that makes you think yes that's the man that I want to sell
4: <laughs> well what was great is it sometimes it's great to cast against what, you know, everyone else is thinking. I mean, the truth is that Travis, at least in the Vikings, did have a kind of almost otherworldly quality about him, something kind of strange, a little bit odd. And he's so gorgeous, but yet he has this oddness to him. And I really needed somebody who was odd enough, that, but attractive enough, and that somebody that was... Attracted enough that ultimately you'd believe she'd want to be with him, maybe, but odd enough that she wouldn't want to be with him in the beginning. And, you know, um, and I think we got that with, with Travis. I think he really played it right.
1: I'd, I'd just like to mention the, um, the costume and locations that you um, put Maggie in. So she, she wears these kind of fantastic, bright, but pretty conservative uh, costumes. And uh, the houses, they always seem to be very cramped and claustrophobic. Where did those ideas come from?
4: Well... We'll start with the houses. Like, the, 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 the apartment that she sublets from a poet is almost exactly a replica of a apartment that I sublet from a poet. Years ago, when I was first in New York, I got an incredibly cheap deal on an apartment um, that was, you know, was the le- uh, a poet had the lease, and he would sublet it to a series of young people who needed a place to stay, but you couldn't move. There were so many books. And so it was exactly that apartment. And I love the fact that there's something both glamorous and kind of... Extremely confining about this old fashioned apartment, you know, this girl would be living in. And then um, all the the, the locations, all the living locations are all quite realistic, like the idea of Columbia Housing. She's got this great, you know, Georgette has this great house because it's Columbia Housing. And then, but when John and Maggie need to move in together and have a baby, they have to move to Queens, which is very realistic, and so on. Um, The clothes, yeah, well, I mean, we really just tried to find a look. That was um, reflected her modesty and her sense of color and her sense of professionalism and also we uh, Greta very much modeled this character on somebody that she knows and it was a friend of hers and has a certain style and so we talked a lot with Malgosia the clothing designer and, you know, just trying to find the exactly the right way that it could be the character, but it could also reflect how Greta was trying to figure the character out and, you know, who she was modeling her on, um, who had this certain kind of sort of practical modesty about her, but she needed, you know, she might not have had all the, the right clothes for cold, but she would just wear a lot of clothes. She wore, like, many layers of clothes. Um,
1: yeah. And um, was it a conscious decision to bring in um, Noah Baumbach's DP Sam Levy to pair with Greta, or was that just completely um, well, coincidence
4: It wasn't The reason I used Sam really was that um, I Greta talked to me about Sam, and I was looking at a lot of different DPs, and I really I met him and I really liked how we were able to talk to each other. I'd seen his work in various things. Um, including a film by Kelly Reichardt, which I thought was really beautifully shot. And, um, and I just really loved his references. So it wasn't really because of that, it was sort of a coincidence, but it ended up being a good experience. And I found it was, he's very uh, able to listen to what you want and interpret it and, and kind of make it even better, rather than trying to impose you know, what, he's, what his idea is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's strong, but he listens.
1: So one thing that I really found refreshing about this film was the shift for three, uh, to three years later, because we're so used to seeing the people getting together and the blossoming relationship, and it was so nice to actually just like right they've got together and now <laughs> now we'll go yeah, forward. Yeah, right,
4: right, right.
1: And did you did you ever dwell on actually telling that story?
4: No, I, I, I had that, that leap, and I, I have to say Rachel Horowitz, one of the producers, was so you know she was. One of her favorite parts of of the script was that, and she was really um, very good about not encouraging me to make it more literal, you know. Um, My instinct was to leave it like that. I've done a lot of playing with time in other movies, and so I tend to do that anyway. And I just, and also just there's something about the way that you were able to do it with light. It's just, that's my favorite part about it, is the way the light kind of bleeds in, and then suddenly, you know, you're seeing all this, 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 uh, flare and the lens and then it kind of comes out with her and the child and all that's very sensual and very filmic and it was nice to have an opportunity to do something like that in the film
1: excellent and do you think for your next project you'd want to work from an original script or again looking for something to adapt from
4: well as it happens i'm writing an original script for the next one i think unless i can't work it out in which case i'll see what happens but for
2: this i think i'm going to do my own one next time
1: Excellent. Well, Rebecca Miller, from Maggie's Plan. Thanks a lot for joining us on Thank the Kirsten
2: you. podcast. Okay, so that was a great interview with Rebecca Miller. She had lots of insight there into the story. Mm. So I didn't realise that this is actually based on a novel that she, an unfinished novel that she got the kind of opening chapters to that just had Georgette, John, and Maggie in. Yeah, I didn't know that either. So it's quite interesting to wonder how, if the novel is going to, you know, be completed, how it's going to end up differently. Will it be influenced by the film? Yeah, it's quite um, interesting because
3: in the film, obviously, John is writing a novel about his life.
2: (laughs) So it's based on a novel about these people. It's made into a film. And in the film, the people are writing a novel about (laughs) about their life. (laughs) Lots of layers. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great thing about it. Yeah, no, it is great. Um, So that was great to hear from her. So we're going to now talk a bit about spoilers. So I don't think there's too much to spoil in this film, really, because it's... It is what it is. It's a character study. Yeah. And that's the most fun part of it. Uh, but we are going to spoil a few little bits now. So... Um, if you haven't seen it... Yeah, switch off and then come back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the end, Maggie manages to fulfil her final plan. Yes. And get them back together.
3: It was a bit sad, though, because she did cry
2: when she found out about him cheating on her. With, with Georgia. Yeah, so she gets them to go off on this like uh ficto-anthropological retreat in Quebec (laughs) sounds very romantic sounds so romantic and they get snowed in (laughs) and there's lots of hilarious snow metaphors from Julianne Moore the snow is melting John (laughs) the whole way through absolutely great and Julianne Moore does an absolutely stellar job of like academic flirting with him Which he has no clue of. Yeah, he's so oblivious. That's what's so funny about his character. Um, Yeah, so she gets them back together. But yeah, like you said, she cries. But I wonder how much she just is putting that on. I don't think it was putting it on. I think it was quite honest. I Mm -hmm. just
3: think it was like her realising, oh yeah, you know, I was right. Mm -hmm. This is over, you know. And even though she wanted it to be over, it was still quite sad because he was her husband for three years and they had this baby and now they have to change all that, you know. To
2: change I mean? their lives completely. Yeah, we, yeah I, I think so. I was wondering more if it was relief because you could tell, like yeah. he was stifling her so much yeah. in that relationship. You know, she just turned into his caretaker and I wondered if she's just quite relieved to get her life back, to be the girl from the beginning of the film yeah. who had her own plan and knew that she could do it alone and raise her baby yeah. on her own. But you know, maybe maybe she was maybe it was both. Yeah. Probably a mix of emotions yeah, exactly. for her. Exactly. You, did you want uh, John and Georgette to get back together? Yes, I think they were a better match. They were perfect for each other, yeah. weren't they? <laughs> I just feel like he needed a woman like that. Yeah, to keep him in place. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm with you 100% of the way there. <laughs> um,
3: yeah, I think um, after after they had that little snow din mm-hmm. and that little...
2: What was it? A hotel? Yeah, like a hotel. But they were in a bar for part of yeah, it. Yeah,
3: and they were dancing and singing to Dancing in the
2: Dark. Oh, yes. So Dancing in the Dark is used a couple of times yeah, in the film. Great was, song. Yeah. And like it, it has great lyrics that I think are really potent like, yeah, to I the think film. that's why they use it twice. Yes. And we had a bit of sing-along. Oh, we had a great time in the cinema. We had a private screening. And when (laughs) Dancing in the Dark came on and uh, uh, Gillian Moore and um, Ethan Hawke were dancing and singing, we were pretty much doing the same thing. (laughs) Um, And, uh, yeah, it was quite funny because
3: she she didn't actually say anything to him. Like, oh, I want you back. Yeah. Um, She just said, oh, I just kind of loved you or...
2: Something like that. Yeah, Is there's it, no big. That's a quite. Uh, there's no big like emotional yeah, kind of yeah. outpouring because these are all quite reserved characters in, in some ways. Yeah. With how they feel, apart from John, actually, he's quite. Yeah, he was the one that did yeah. the big. He came into her
3: room. He he burst into her room. and He's like, I think I want to stay. I think we should stay. I don't want to leave you. Yeah, like yeah. That.
2: That's quite funny, actually, because usually in films, I would say it's the other way around, isn't it? The women are the ones that do their big emotional outpourings mm. or whatever, and the men keep it together. But it's kind of role reversed here. These women are very yeah. strong. And then he
3: was like, when he told Maggie, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. And she's just like,
2: go, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, from then, from the Quebec thing, she, he comes back, he... Um, tells Maggie what he's, what well, that he's done it and he needs Maggie to pick up the pieces again because yeah. that's all Maggie does in his film. He, 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 she needs to make a decision for him. Yeah. And she was like, just go. And so what did you think of um, the fact that he then finds out that there's been a big plan? Um, I mean, because was, it was inevitable he was going to yeah, find out. obviously.
3: Um, And uh, I thought um, he was a bit hypocritical mm. about getting angry about it. Uh, because, obviously, he did cheat on her. Yeah. But then, I understand, he was, like, um... he. F- I think he felt a
2: bit like a tennis ball. Well, he was, like, thrown. a pawn in their yeah. game, wasn't he? I, to be fair, I think I would have been a bit annoyed yeah. if I'd found out that he... I'd been like master manipulated into By a situation two women yeah 100% 100% yeah
3: I get you I get you um, but then he got like really upset and just walked out sold yeah.
2: his car bought a motorcycle <laughs> well I think John is just in constant midlife crisis it yeah. was like he was born to be in a midlife crisis and the motorcycles the absolute epitome of that so, like that he was wearing a leather jacket oh, as well <laughs> the attention to detail over yeah. stuff like that is so funny actually with like well actually kind of Costume plays quite a great yeah. role, I think, throughout the whole thing. Um, so Julianne Moore is always in, like, furs and, like... Um, One like, colour. Yeah, and kind sleek. of very Scandi. Yeah. And then uh, Maggie's always in, like, a hodgepodge of cardigans and has that kind of really warm vibe in comparison. Yeah. Very
3: mother kind
2: of vibe. Yeah, very motherly vibe. Yeah. And then, um, obviously, John goes through his various, <laughs> various stones. Yeah.
3: And then... Basically, he meets up with Georgette. Yes. And they are trying to get, like, an ending to
2: Yeah, I don't think they're necessarily meeting to... Although Maggie says, just see each other and I yeah, know you'll get yeah, back yeah. together. But they're not necessarily meeting for that. Actually, just briefly, we need to touch on the fact that, she, that Georgette finally reads his book that's oh, all yes. about... <laughs> <laughs> That's all about um what because has gone on for the past sort of five years, I suppose, in his life. Mm. And she burns it. <laughs> yes, she did. It was and great. She brings him the ashes. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, oh I come to love your book. <laughs> <laughs> Just a sack of ash. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So funny. And I love as well that he tries to get really upset about it. And she's like, oh, shut up, you've got loads of copies yeah. <laughs> But it's more just a kind of symbol of it. It's like, that's what I think of that. Yeah. She, yeah. It was not great. Super strong move. And actually, again, at the end of that scene, she just tells him, yeah, X, Y, Z, this is what you should do with your novel. And Go. As soon as he hears that, he's like, okay, let's get back together. He just needs her, doesn't yeah. he? He needs Georgia. Well, he needs a woman to kind of nurture him. But Maggie's not. Maggie's too indulgent to yeah. him, isn't she? She indulges him in this wanting to write this novel and that's kind of why he goes to her. And, you know, she indulges him and lets him get away with loads of stuff, whereas Georgette is just like, no, 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 no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Follow my path and you will prosper. Yeah. <laughs> she kind of views him as like a project. Yeah,
3: exactly. Mm-hmm. Whereas Maggie was more of a, I'll let you do what you want. Yeah. Try to make everything else
2: perfect for and you. And kind of just runs herself ragged in the process. Yeah she doesn't work for him. No. Or for her. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the thing about this film, is that there's kind of no clear-cut answers the whole way through. Mm-hmm. It's just a group of people who have, like, very great character traits and, like, you know, tragically bad flaws, yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to kind of make the best of their life and the mess they've got themselves into.
3: Yeah, I think it was a nice moment when Maggie was just crying in the kitchen after she cut herself. Oh, yeah. And uh, she was, like why is my life like this? Why do I keep messing up and things like that? And I'm like, we all felt like that at some point. <laughs> Absolutely,
2: definitely. It's just, it's so relatable, yeah. isn't it? The whole way through. Um, yeah, so any final thoughts on the film before we wrap up? Um, there was just one thing
3: that, mm-hmm. um, that I read at the New York Times. Review, oh, yeah. And uh, it was just saying how all the characters were taking themselves so seriously that we don't have to. Oh, And I yes. thought that was very true. That's so perfect for yeah. this film. Because they're all very, like, oh, I have to do this or that, or I need to fix everything. Mm -hmm. And that just makes it funny for us.
2: (laughs) It makes it absolutely hilarious. I didn't think I've laughed so much at film in a long time. Yeah, (laughs) Actually, the last time I laughed this much was for Everybody Wants Some. Which, again, is another kind of character study. Yeah, Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: I think I prefer films like that. Me too, Definitely. Definitely. Great. So that about wraps it up for this week. Just quickly wanted to let everyone know that on Curzon Home Cinema this week, there or currently, there's a great new uh, kind of curated collection of films called Scenes from a Marriage. It features some brilliant films like 45 Years that stars uh, Charlotte Rampling. She was nominated for an Oscar for that one. Um, Force Majeure, Only Lovers Left Alive A Separation so loads of great films that kind of discuss similar themes of the kind of breakdown of marriage and the human condition. Hmm. Um, Also Julianne Moore's uh, Oscar winner uh, still, Alice is also on Curzon Home Cinema, as is uh, Frances Ha, that stars Greta Gerwig. If you want to have a little watch of that one, so if you've liked the podcast, please give us a rating on iTunes, and uh, if you could subscribe, that would be great too. And tweet us using the hashtag Curzon uh, Podcast, and yeah, we'll see you next week when we're going to be doing kind of roundup of our favourite films of 2016 Ooh. so far. Yeah. So from now, it's uh, bye from me.